are you today? Good. Good. You're glad you're here? All right. Um, We have an image, uh, I think, of an hourglass up here because I promised that I would talk to you about time management. Do you remember that? And um, some of us are really good at managing our time, and others, well, we got work to do, right? Some of us. The incredibly wise King Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has put eternity in our hearts. And what that means is that God has revealed to man that the life that we have on this earth is not our whole life. God has put eternity in our hearts. And Jesus' kid brother James, the blue-collar scholar of the New Testament, if you will, he said, your life is a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. Think about that. Nobody is guaranteed tomorrow. Your life is a mist and then it vanishes just like that. When I was 12 years old, God showed me these truths. I was lying in bed trying to fall asleep. You know how it is when you can't fall asleep. Toss and turn. Don't have enough energy to get up, but you just lay there. And I was laying there in my bed, and in just a short, brief moment of time, God showed me this truth. And... It was very saddening to me, very disappointing. Because in that moment, I saw my whole life on earth. I grew up, I got married, I had a family, I got a job, I worked the job, I retired, I got old, and then I died. I don't know too many 12-year-olds that see that. But at 12 years old, I had that revelation, that awakening, that that's my life. And I was so sad. I was disappointed. I remember I, I cried myself to sleep that night. That's it? 70, 80, 90 years, and then it's over? And then I'm done? There's got to be more to my life than just that. And maybe you think that way too. You know, life is very short. Why isn't there more? Have you ever had a moment in your life where God opened your eyes to this big picture? Where you, where you saw, there's, there's got to be more to life than just the time I have on this earth. That I, w- I want to I do something with the time that I have. The longer I live, the more I realize how short life is. And I know this because of what I say. I often say, it feels like yesterday. It feels like yesterday I turned 40. But that was almost nine years ago. It feels like yesterday my kids were toddlers, and now they're 13 and 16. It feels like yesterday I could dunk a basketball, and I don't remember when the last time I did that. Life goes fast. We have a finite amount of time on this earth, and when you see that truth, it gets you thinking, and you probably think, man, I have some regrets of things I've done in the past. Not probably, um, not, I should say, not possibly or probably. You probably have regrets. You, You probably think to yourself, man, there were some times not well spent when we think about our time in the past. 
And since no one has really invented the flux capacitor, there is no time machine, you can't go back and change things. So what do you do? You're here in the present, and you have an unknown amount of time left. Am I right? You don't know. But what are you going to do with your time? And I say kudos to you because you said, today I'm going to go spend some time with my Life of Purpose family, and you're blessed because you came. You spent some time here. And yeah, I did say kudos. That's an old one. But what else are you going to do with your time today? You could watch some football. You could fix some things around the house. You could read a book. You could spend some time with your family. You could plop down in that recliner and never open your eyes the rest of the day. Lots of choices you have. But here's what I want to challenge you uh, with today. First, your time is really God's time. Your, your time is really God's time. Every second is a gift to you, and I heard it first from my mother. That's why we call it the present, because it's a gift. Every second is a gift from God. Secondly, your time is your most valuable resource. Your time is your most valuable resource, but God gives you other resources. Third, your resources should be managed well so you can glorify God and bless all he has created. And fourthly, if you manage your resources well, you'll leave a legacy on earth and you'll build up rewards in heaven. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but you're going to see that in the word today. Your time is very important in how you use it and how you spend it. Your time is his time. Your time is your most valuable resource. Your resources should be managed well, to honor God, glorify God, and bless his creation. And if you do that well, if you manage your resources well, you'll leave a legacy on earth, and you'll build up rewards in heaven. And you'll see that in the parable of the ten minas today in his word. But when I sat where you sat, when, when I was going to church, and I listened to my pastor preach, and usually pastors love to preach, a three-point sermon, you know, I guess maybe today it's a four-point sermon, since I said four things. I could never remember all four things or all three things. I would be like, oh, what was that other one? I can't remember. So I try to give you one thing that you can remember, something memorable, always a saying I try to give you so that you'll remember it. And the saying today is, your time is his time. Because if you get that part right, if you start seeing your time as his time, a gift to you, then hopefully everything else will fall into place. Because if you don't see your time as his time, and it's all your time, now you have a selfish outlook on what you're going to do with your life. Your time is his time. Will you pray with me, Father? Thank you for your word today. Help us all to receive it, not in our head, but in our heart, in our spirit. Let your word transform us today so that we will we'll be different, we'll be changed, and we'll be changed more like you, more into your image. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. David was uh, king.
King David, and he understood God very well, and he wrote a lot of songs. We call them psalms. He wrote a lot of songs. And one of his verses in his song is, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. And by saying that and singing that, he understood God owns it all. Another psalm says God owns the cattle on a thousand hill. God owns it all. But yet, he lets us manage it. The word is stewardship. If you've been in church a while, you know the word stewardship. But if you haven't, you may never heard that word before. But in the Bible, the, God uses this word steward. We, you're going to see several places where we're told, we're taught to be good stewards of what God has given us, the resources that he's given us. The word stewardship or steward, I looked it up, in the Greek, it's the word oikos nomos. Oikos nomos, and it's two words. Oikos means house, and nomos means commander, commander. So if you're the oikos nomos, you're the steward, you're the commander of the house. Husbands, are you the commander of your house? Wives, are you the commander of your house? Are you elbowing each other right now? If you want to know the answer of who should be the oikos nomos, well, you should come Saturday, May 12th, or March 12th to our marriage conference and dinner because you're going to learn a whole lot. I'm so excited for this marriage conference and dinner. It's going to be fantastic. And you have to sign up and commit to that. It's a big, big day. It could be life-changing for your marriage. So, oikos nomos, a steward. The greatest example, one of the greatest examples of being a good steward in God's word is Joseph. If you know the life of Joseph, he had a kind of a rough life. Kind of cocky growing up. Brothers didn't like him. Dad's favorite. They sold him into slavery. That's, how, that's what brothers do sometimes. <laughs> and he found himself being a slave in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar found out and realized pretty quick that Joseph was a really good steward. It says in Genesis 39.4, Joseph found favor in his master's sight, and he attended him. And so Potiphar, his master, made him, and here's the word, overseer of his house and put him in charge of all he had. And then get this, follow the life of Joseph a little further. He was such a great steward of what God had given him. God had given him a little And he said, I can trust Joseph with a little, so now I'm going to give him a lot. And what did he become? He became the right-hand man to the Pharaoh of Egypt. He became the steward of all of Egypt. Right on cue. Perfect. It's like a drum roll. It's like, yes! Are you being a good steward of all that God has given you? That's the question you have to ask yourself. Are you being a good steward of what God has given you? I think it begins with you first. Think about you. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Many of us don't necessarily think of ourselves this way, but um, if you're a Christian, you should know 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? You're God's temple. Because God's Spirit lives in you. When you're born again, the Holy Spirit lives in you. God does that 
to claim you, to adopt you into his family. And when you become a child of God through adoption, through the Holy Spirit, he lives in you, he dwells in you. So now you are no longer your own. You, you've been paid for. There was a price that he paid for you, and so you are God's temple. Your body, everything about you, and I think that it goes way beyond our body. I think it goes to the four dimensions of who we are. And I've done so much research on this my whole life through sports. I've done research on what does it mean to um, take care of yourself. And I believe we are four dimensions. I started some, a company a, a while back called Four Dimension or four, 4D Performance because we are four dimensions. We have a mind, we have a body, we have emotions, and we have a spirit. And you probably made a New Year's resolution or two, and it probably dealt with your physical side. Eat less, exercise more. Or you might have talked about your money. I'm going to spend less, save more. Those are typically the New Year's resolutions, the goals that people set up for themselves. But what about your mind? What about your emotions? What about your spirit? So I have uh, um, set some of my own personal goals. I call them daily disciplines uh, that lead to the best you that you can be. Um, and I have a little handout. It's over by the offering. If you want a copy of that, you can take that home. And if you want more information about that, this kind of piqued your interest. Like, ooh, what's that all about? 4D performance. I want to be my best me because God tells me to do that. Then, then put it on your connection card. Send me an email. Text me, whatever. And I'll follow up with you and we'll talk about it. But there's some handouts on the offering table for you for daily disciplines. Because you know what? It's January 30th today. And some of you already forgot about your New Year's resolutions. You've already given up. You've already said, ah, that's too hard. But God has not given you a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. You can do it. You can do it. So let me encourage you with that. You can do it. Be strong. We're going to look at the parable of the ten minas. If you have your Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Now, the parable of the ten minas is often not talked about. Instead, preachers usually like to talk about the parable of the five talents, which is in Matthew. But I'm talking about the parable of the ten minas. What the heck is a minna? That's probably what you're thinking. And that's why I have this title, Your Minna or His Minna, overlaid. Um, minna is money. It's a pound, actually. It means a pound. So you're, so you're going to find out in the story that minna is a pound. Um, but is it your minna or is it his minna? And uh, we're in Luke 19, verse 11. If you need a Bible, the Bibles in the chairs in front of you are yours to take. They're free. If you'd like a Bible, take one home. That We have a generous person, uh, Carmen, who loves to donate Bibles. In fact, he just called me this week and said, how are the Bibles doing? I'm ready to send more. I'll do it. Um, just let me know. When is the time? So we have plenty of Bibles. If you need a Bible, take one home with you. Luke 19, verse 11. Jesus, at this point, if you want to know where we're at in the harmony of the Gospels, he is at the point where he is um, close to going to the cross. And this is one of the last teachings that he gave. And he's telling his disciples uh, this parable because he's basically telling them, what you do with your time on this earth matters. You leave a legacy and you build up rewards in heaven. So here it is, verse 11. He heard... These things, and he proceeded to tell the parable. 
Because he was near to Jerusalem and near death, they supposed, they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So remember, the disciples had already declared Jesus is the Messiah. Not everybody, but the disciples, for sure, declared he was the Messiah. Peter um, said it, you know, you're the, you're the Messiah, you're the Lord, you're, you're God. And the prophets said that the Messiah would be a king. He would establish his kingdom on earth. So they put two and two together and said, okay, Jesus, you're the Messiah. Here comes your kingdom. When's your kingdom? They're, they're looking for the kingdom. They don't know how it's going to happen, but they're looking for it. And so that's why Luke writes that. Verse 12, he said, Therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Now, here's what you need to understand about this parable. Oftentimes, it was a picture of what would come true. And in this case, what you need to understand is that Jesus is the nobleman. Jesus is the nobleman who will go into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Think about it. He's going to a far country, heaven, to receive his kingdom, his heaven, where he came from, and he will return. I've been waiting a long time to say this. Normal isn't coming back, but Jesus is. The t-shirts will be out soon, I'm sure. (laughs) Verse 13, calling ten of his servants, this nobleman, and he gave them ten minutes and said, engage in business until I come. Here's ten servants, and each one got a minute, a pound of money. Um, Hundred days wages, just to give you perspective. That's how much the pound of money was, roughly. Hundred days of wages. And he gave him these resources to manage while he was gone. Verse 14, his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. We don't want to be part of his kingdom. Now, who are those citizens? The unbelieving Jews. The ones who would deny Jesus as the Messiah. In verse 15, he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how did they do, how did they manage what he had given them. And he was going to judge them for how they managed his resources. And the first came and said, Lord, your minna has made ten minas more. Why was he first? Because he made ten minas more. You're proud of yourself. You did it. You took one minute, you made it into ten. So he comes first. Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. Think about that. The future. Another uh, reward for those who manage well. In verse 20, he said, I have uh, made, or verse 18, sorry, I have made five minutes. And then the Lord said, or the nobleman said, Here, you're in charge of five more cities. Verse 20, one came and said, Lord, here's your minna, which I kept hidden in a handkerchief. I was afraid of you. You're a severe man. 
You take what you don't deposit, you reap what you don't sow. Now that doesn't sound like Jesus, does it? But that is his perception of him. Think about what, how many perceived Jesus. In uh, Matthew, the religious leaders, Matthew records that the religious leaders had a perception of Jesus and his cousin. It says that, that John the baptizer came neither eating nor drinking, and you say he has a demon The Son of Man comes eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, he's a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So they have their own perception. You're not going to change their mind. Jesus said, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You thought I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit, reaping what I did not sow. But why then didn't you put my money in the bank? So when I come back, I might have collected some interest. Why didn't you do something with the resources that I gave you? And then he says, take the minna from him. Give it to the one who has ten. And they said, well, that's not fair. He's already got ten. But everyone who has more, more or who has more will be given. And the one who has not, it will be taken away. For these enemies of mine, he calls them enemies, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. And all the men are like, yeah, making a movie. The women are like, oh, that's not very nice, Jesus. (laughs) But that's the reality of Judgment Day, isn't it? It is the reality, and that's what he's talking about. God has a plan. He always had a plan. Jesus understood the plan. He obeyed. He came to earth. He lived the perfect life. He established his church. He suffered a horrific death on the cross. But he rose from the grave. He returned to heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit. We're waiting patiently as the good news is shared throughout to the ends of the earth for all to be um, hear it and to be saved to the ones that will respond. Then Jesus will come back. He will rapture his church. He will establish a kingdom at that time on this earth for a thousand years. And if you want to hear more about that, you love end times, well, come back on February 27th. I'll preach on it then. It's going to be a good message. But while we're waiting for Jesus to come back, What does he want you to do with your time? Manage it well. That's what the 10 minutes is saying. Manage it well. And the whole Bible says it. It wasn't just one example that Jesus gave. The whole Bible says you're supposed to, we're supposed to manage our time and the resources we have well. Because your time is his time. And we're to be good stewards. Look at Genesis 1.28. Genesis 1.28, it says, God blessed man and woman, and he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. We're doing a a pretty good job, by the way. We're approaching 8 billion people on this earth. And we have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on this earth. We're smarter than everybody else, everything else. So, what does he say? You're, You're in charge. Manage well the environment. And all the tree huggers said, Amen. 1 Peter 4.10. Peter says, As each has received a spiritual gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards, there's the word, of, ver- of God's very grace. God gives you talents, passions, spiritual gifts. 
Use them to serve well. That's why I preached last week on serving. Be humble and serve. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. Do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Glorify God with your body. And the context of that is all about the problem they had in that church with sexual immorality. And he's saying, you need to manage well your sexual desires. And let's face it, our country is terrible at that. Terrible. Manage well your sexual desires. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion. That's why I don't um, give you any kind of message or indication of guilt to give. God loves a cheerful giver. Two weeks ago I preached on be godly rich. Manage your money well. And then finally, Titus 1.7. Paul writes to Titus, an overseer, that's a steward, God's steward, must be above reproach. He's not arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunk or violent or greedy for gain. You must manage well God's church. And those overseers we call elders. The elders are to lead God's church, to watch over, to pastor, to shepherd. Your time is whose time? His time. Your time is his time. And it's your most valuable resource, and your resources should glorify God and bless his creation. And if you do that well, if you manage your resources well, you'll leave a legacy, and you will build up rewards in heaven. That's what the parable of ten minutes teaches us. I, heaven is a wonderful place. There's all kinds of things that, that we, if you haven't spent time thinking about it, you should. If you haven't read the book that I recommended last year, you should, called Heaven by Randy Elkhorn. You will, it will open your mind and understanding of, man, heaven really, truly is so much, so much, so much better than this place. And it's something to look forward to. But it does come down to this question. I think everyone needs to answer it for themselves. Who's the Lord of your life? Who's the Lord of your life? Because if you are the Lord of your life, if you think you're in control of everything you do, well then you're going to see your time, your money, all your resources as yours. And you're probably going to not manage it well. And you're probably going to have some regrets. And you're probably going to be disappointed. Because we're just not perfect people. We mess up. And when you mess up, you fess up. But if you make Jesus the Lord of your life, then you'll see every resource you have as a gift from him. As a gift from God. And you'll take care of them. You'll manage them faithfully. You should if you see them that way. You'll leave a legacy that teaches your children and grandchildren to do the same. And you'll build up rewards in heaven. Twelve years old, God showed me my life. At twelve. And for the next twelve years, when I thought about that moment, because I didn't forget it, 
I was very sad. But at age 24, God opened my eyes, and I saw a truth that overwhelmed that sadness. It actually took it all away because God showed me his amazing love. His amazing love. And that amazing love was the fact that I can be forgiven. I can be forgiven. God loves me, and he wants to forgive me. God loves you, and he wants to forgive you. I know without any doubt that when I breathe my last breath on this earth, when I leave St. Clair Shores, I'm going to enter a very glorious city in heaven. So I'm not sad when I think about the end, because it's not the end. It's the beginning of something greater. I'm going to spend eternity with God in the presence of God. I heard a, a, a teaching, and it, you probably don't think about it much, but you know, nobody could see God face to face. There's lots of people that wanted to see God face to face, but nobody could because it would, it would not just overwhelm us. It, it would, I mean, it would be like standing next to the sun. It would disintegrate you. I mean, you, you, you can't do that. God is that glorious. But someday you're going to go to heaven and you're going to be in his presence. And I think we'll see him face to face for the first time. Because we will be like he is. Not a God, but we will be without this veil, this flesh. God loves you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you. Have you made him your Lord? Are you prepared for what comes next? Because I told you, I think it's going to be a wonderful place. I can't wait for those relationships. There's fishing in heaven, I'm sure of it. There's adventures. But nobody is promised tomorrow. Nobody is promised tomorrow. So if you have yet to make Jesus your Lord, if you have never talked to God and prayed to God and said, you know what, God, I get it. I, I know it. I'm not perfect. I have messed up. And I need forgiveness. I need your amazing love. I need your grace. I want to make you my Lord. I want Jesus to be my Savior. If you've never done that before, you don't have a guarantee for tomorrow. Do it today. Don't leave without letting God know your true feelings and, and, and putting your faith in him if that's what you believe that you should do. And you can pray right where you're at. You don't, you don't need any kind of special blessing. You just need an invitation, and I just gave it to you. You pray, and you tell God, I want to make you my Lord. I'm tired of trying to do this all on my own. I'm trying to, tired of living this lie that I think I'm in control. You're in control. Everything is from you, God. You made me, you created me, you loved me, you sent your son Jesus to die for me. I want to live for you. Your time. That, my time is your time. That's, that's, our, that's the way we need to think. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. I'm going to invite our band to come up. So just bow your heads and start praying and thanking God. If you've already made him your Lord, thank him. And if you haven't and you want to do that right now, do that right now. Just pray to God.